0: Hi, I'm Josh.
1: And I'm Lindsay.
0: And this is The Hideaway Podcast, episode
1: 43. Surak tree That's Russian.
0: So this week we're going to do something a little bit different. Usually we, we talk for about 10 minutes and then we interview a guest. But today we're going to talk for a little bit longer We're modeling it after one of my favorite podcasts called The Weeds, which was uh, started by Ezra Klein and Matt Iglesias and Sarah Cliff. And the way their podcast works is the hosts talk about various different topics in the news. They specifically talk about politics, but we're going to talk about circus. And we'll try to dive deep into the weeds of a few different issues. We're going to talk about NECA. We're going to talk about Sukta Soleil buying Blue Man Group. We're going to talk about a new Spiegel World show, a new show that we're producing in Vegas, and at the end, we're going to talk about somebody else's writing. Actually, an article that Circus Albrecht, who's a well-known circus author, wrote. Ernest
1: Albrecht. He said Circus Albrecht, <laughs>
0: oh, not Circus Albrecht. <laughs> Ernest Albrecht.
1: If his name was Circus Albrecht, that would be
0: amazing. We're going to talk about his article "Whither Thou Go," which is you know sort of about circus and the demographics in the U.S. and what's going to happen. If you like sort of this setup of us chatting, let us know. We'll do more episodes like this.
1: If, if you, you don't, just ignore
0: it. Yeah, ignore it and, uh, you know, let us let us know what guests you want on. We have some good guests lined up this fall. Sorry that we've been a little bit MIA. Lindsay and I have been planning our wedding, which is now less than a month away.
1: Less than a month away. It's really like planning a show. It's a lot of work. And uh, if you're thinking about eloping, you should elope.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's dive right into it. So, I think a lot of people have been hearing about drama that's going on at the New England Center for Circus Arts up in Brattleboro, Vermont. We coincidentally were actually the, there last Wednesday. We were driving up to New Hampshire, and I was like, Lindsay, let's go stop and see this new building that Elsie told us about on her podcast episode just two months ago. Elsie Smith, being one of the co founders of the organization. And we went up and we visited the space, and it was beautiful. It's this massive, sort of big warehouse, not dissimilar from the ENC buildings up in Montreal really impressive what they've they've put together but not all good news coming out of Brattleboro what have you heard Linz?
1: Well it seems like the board of directors decided to separate from employment is how they put it Elsie and Serenity the two founders of NECA and because of that coaches and students have all been walking out and quitting and some board members as well.
0: Why do we think they got fired?
1: Obviously, there's two sides to every story, right? And we're not getting the full picture. We're only getting what people have posted on Facebook or what has been written about in the Brattleboro Reformer. But we're not hearing the entirety of the story. So from what I can gather, I think the biggest thing is the conflict of interest that's that's clearly happening on this board. So the executive director who was newly appointed in January, Michael C. Helmstader, he is married to the vice president of the board, Tracy Prentice.
0: Is that normal? Where you have an executive director married to a, a board member?
1: No, it's an it's a massive conflict of interest that should never be allowed between a not for profit organization and a board.
0: But what's the what's the big deal?
1: The board is hired to govern the non for profit entity. They're supposed to be the guiding light. The the sounding voice, and essentially they are the bosses of everyone who is employed at the not-for-profit. So when you have someone who is married to a board member, you have your foot in both sides of this equation, and the board is supposed to unbiasedly oversee the not-for-profit. When you have a board meeting, you go through the budgets and you approve the people's salaries and you approve the plan for the future and the current plan. And whenever you talk about any of the staff, namely the executive director and managing director, artistic directors, they have to step out of the room and the board then can discuss their salary and like how they're doing. But because even if Michael Helmstater steps out of the board his wife is still on the board and knows exactly what he wants from that job so theoretically she could sway the board to do whatever he wants her to do
0: so that's an interesting sort of change in the executive management dynamic that happened in January of this year. Neck has been going on I have to go back and listen to the podcast, but I believe it's been running for nearly twenty years now. And this is a fairly new, new development, this executive director. Part of the reason for that is that the company's been growing a lot in the last couple of years. They've been doing a fundraising campaign for this new space I just mentioned. Uh, they needed to raise $2.5 million to build it. So far they've raised $1.3 million, but the build is nearly complete. So presumably that remaining $1.2 million is debt, either to board members or to a bank. This is not totally unusual. A lot of companies will take out debt in order to build things and then fundraise for them once they exist. Not unusual, but something to think about. And then you also have these coaches who are quitting. I think it's it's worth talking about for a moment why everybody is so upset that they were fired. Elsie and Serenity have inspired a lot of people. They've brought a lot of people into the circus community who otherwise wouldn't have been there, and that includes burlesque performers, acrobats, jugglers, people who do it recreationally, community circus. Like I can name a dozen people who have been that I personally know very positively affected by Elsie and Serenity and Serenity's husband Bill, who had been there since the the very beginning. And I think it's hard to separate a school from the head educators of a school when those people leave or are fired. What is the philosophy of that program anymore? What is the style of teaching? And most of the students I think are there, are there to be taught by Elsie and Serenity or the people who they have trained. And a lot of coaches are there because they want to work with Elsie and Serenity and they want to work with the students that those teachers attract. And a lot of students are asking for their next year's deposit back or are quitting. A lot of coaches are quitting. This is not good news, particularly if the company is in debt because their main source of earned revenue is through academic admissions sales. That's like your tuition, right, that you pay to do the programs. Mm-hmm. This is not good, right? This is a company that is in a lot of flux. The board, half the board is left. Coaches have left. They're losing money. They're already in debt. And there's a lot of bad press going on.
1: What I'm interested in hearing more about is what the board meetings have been like. Like, what is it that has been spoken about? Specifically, there's something that was addressed in the Reformer article about the problem or the quote unquote problem that the board feels like is caused by Elsie and Serenity's for profit company,
0: Nimble Arts. What is the difference between a for-profit company and a not-for-profit company?
1: A for-profit company is a company that is basically just taxed differently. You are a for-profit company, therefore you file taxes and you don't have a tax break that you get if you're a not-for-profit. A not-for-profit company can 100% be associated with a for-profit company. It happens all the time. The only difference is you just need to be taxed differently. So your accounting needs to account for the two different tax structures that applies to the for-profit versus the non for profit And you just legally have to have the two entities set up as a for-profit and one as a non for profit And how they speak together just has to be laid out legally. I thought
0: what's interesting is the board has not said much, but they've said that that's a main reason why... Uh, Elsie and Serenity were terminated because of the relationship of their for-profit company, Nimble Arts, with the not-for-profit company, the New England Center for Circus Arts. But this is strange also because Elsie and Serenity claim that they offered to pay for legal counsel out of their own pocket to help NECA do their due diligence and set up the accounting and legal practices correctly. That's all it
1: is. Due dil- that's all they had to do, due diligence.
0: But it's not easy. I mean, Lindsay and I are both on boards. I'm on the Circus Smirkus board, and Lindsay's on the board for the New Dramatists, and also for
1: the Debate society. Debate
0: Society, which are two theater companies in New York. And it's a lot of work being on a board, and it's a lot of responsibility. And the governance of a board is a really, really, really important thing. And I was a little appalled to hear that so many of the board members have quit in the last few weeks, probably because of internal disputes. But the way a board works is that you all vote, and... You know, it's not dissimilar from Congress or the government or something where the people in charge, you know, the the executive, the president of the board, the vice president of the board, get to sort of set the agenda. But then everybody votes on it and you say yay, nay, or you abstain. And if the nays win, the thing doesn't happen. But if everybody quits because they don't like who's on the board, then there's nobody there to say nay anymore. There's nobody to defend Elsie and Serenity in this, in this scenario if – all the old time members who were there since the beginning or since it was a non-profit have left. So this just seems like a total and utter fail- failure of governance.
1: Yeah, I think it's, I mean, again, I'd like to talk to the board members who have quit and are still there and and hear like their side and, and the way that they saw this whole thing unravel. But as a as a person who serves on a few boards, I cannot imagine quitting in a time of dire need like this where, you know, it's not uncommon like we've seen with Paul Binder at Big Apple and with Rob Merman at Smircus. And now we're seeing it with Randy and Elsie with NECA being separated from the company that they founded.
0: Well, it's an interesting thing you, you point that out because those are the two extremes, right? You have Circus Smircus, which, you know, ten years later is doing great. Like it's one of the healthiest circus organizations in the country. And your other example, Big Apple Circus, went into bankruptcy a few years after their founder left, and you know now is now is a for-profit company back at it again for this mm-hmm. year, which is you know nobody really knows what it will look like, but certainly at least a little bit different from from what it was when it was a non-profit. And these are just sort of serious serious issues that that we're facing in the circus community right now. My my heart goes out to to Elsie and Serenity. Obviously, we don't know if there was you know reasonable justification for. For their separation, maybe there was, maybe there wasn't, but it is unarguable that it is incredibly painful to be separated from a company that you you founded and built a community around. And it's it's just going to be a tough thing. And I, I, I do encourage people to go back and listen to Elsie's podcast from, I believe it's from May. It's one of our most listened to episodes. It's really, really interesting. I think it will give anybody who's, you know, wanting to know a little bit more detail. What is NECO? Why do we care what is this thing? A little bit more uh, information.
1: Another aspect that we haven't really mentioned is the the apparent incompetency of Michael Helmstader as executive director of NECA. Mm. Um, you know, again, like, I've never met him. I've never worked for him or His information's not
0: even on the website.
1: His information's not on the website. I mean, I don't know anything about him. So... I'm all, only going on hearsay, but it does seem like he maybe isn't the right choice for the job. And an organization can only thrive when the staff and the board are working together to do what's best for the organization financially, and as well as the people who are coming to the organization. And it it, it seems like when people went to the board to talk about his inadequacy, they were threatened to be fired, which is another example of how, you know, this massive, massive conflict of interest with your wife on the board and your husband being the executive director. So it just seems like a really tough spot. It seems like they're talking to a lawyer to see what legal action they can take.
0: You'd think there would be some, I mean, the there are some pretty strict rules governing non profits and what their boards are allowed to do and how their executive management is supposed to work. And those rules exist because they get such crazy tax breaks for being nonprofits. So hopefully there's a remedy that, you know, all the parties can find and LC and Serenity can... Uh, go back to teaching the majority of Americans Mm -hmm. in the Northeast circus arts.
1: Yes. And if you feel moved by this story and want to help, they do have a change.org petition that you can sign. We'll link it in the bio. It's change.org. A show that I saw when I was 13 for my 13th birthday was Blue Man Group in Boston. And now it's however many years later. (laughs) And they are being sold to Cirque du Soleil. So, Josh, okay, this is a two-fold question. One, why do you think Cirque du Soleil bought Blue Man Group? And two, what do you think about the fact that now Cirque du Soleil is saying that they are no longer a circus company, but an entertainment company?
0: So to address the first question, why would Cirque du Soleil buy Blue Man Group? Also, you have to sort of ask, why would Blue Man Group sell their company to Cirque du Soleil in sort of the same breath? But I think the reason is that Cirque du Soleil is no longer owned by the founders, sort of harking back to our previous discussion. It's owned by TPG, which is an investment company based out of Texas, and Fosun Group, which is an investment company based out of China. And they're going to make moves that make the most financial sense for the company as opposed to stay true to their original artistic vision. And one of the most valuable things that a company can do is buy IP, which is short for intellectual property. You see this happen a lot with Disney buying Marvel so that they can make, you know, a Iron Man-themed ride in their theme park, or they buy Pixar so that they can do the same thing. And one of these things that sort of, regardless of the changes in technology, if you're watching stuff on the internet or watching it on video, is that you stay in love with the characters and the original intellectual property. Those are the things people have an emotional relationship to. And currently Cirque du Soleil does not have a lot of that. All they sort of have is their circus shows. And by buying Blue Man Group, they get another kind of IP that they can pump out and use in their theme park that they're opening in Mexico, that they can promote on their touring circuit, that they can promote in Las Vegas. It just totally makes sense brand-wise. Blue Man Group does not use much language in their show, nor does Cirque du Soleil, so it sort of plays to the same audience. They're both founded in the same couple of years, so they come from the same kind of generation of creators. I thought what was interesting was the amount that Cirque du Soleil offered to purchase, Blue Man Group 4 or did purchase Blue Man Group 4 now it's in the past it was $66 million according to Business Insider and they calculated that to be 15 years of profit from the 7 shows that are currently playing so my guess is if you're Cirque du Soleil and you're taking the Blue Man founders into a room you say to them listen guys like you've made this amazing thing it's lasted so long but really how many more of the years is it going to last 5, 10, 15 years then what? and uh, Cirque du Soleil's answer is we can make this thing grow. We can make new shows. We can put it in theme parks. We can do all these things. And we'll pay you the equivalent of 15 years of profit, which you probably get anyways, if you let us grow this grow this company and take it and buy it. And it's probably a pretty hard thing to turn down, right? Like you spent your whole life doing Blue Man. Now you get this great payday. I think it totally makes sense for everybody who's involved. To answer your, your second question, what does Soleil's statement about not being a circus company mean anymore? is, uh, it's pretty crazy. Daniel Lamar, who is the Cirque du Soleil president, told the New York Times that the, quote, acquisition of Blue Man, for us, is kind of a breakthrough to make clear to people that Cirque is going from a circus company to becoming a global leader of entertainment. Which is interesting, right? We all sort of knew this was happening with the theme park, with the NFL experience, but kind of sad, right? Like, it's not really a circus company anymore. They do more things than circus. We always sort of knew that many Americans who were very pro the ringling style of traditional circus would have said, Cirque du Soleil isn't a circus period. Lindsay and I have said in the podcast that we think most people think of Cirque du Soleil as its own separate category from circus. And Cirque is now saying that they sort of agree with that view and that they are more general in the way that Disney is. And I think that's who they're, they're modeling after and going after It. It's a pretty strong statement to say, like, what is circus, right? If Circus Leigh is not circus, what does that mean? Speaking of other news about recent podcast guests, Ross Mollison announced a new workshop for one of his shows with Stephen Hoggett. Can you tell us a little bit about that, Lindsay? It's a new
1: show that they're workshopping with private presentations at St. Anne's Warehouse later this month it's called Heroes and it's being directed and choreographed by Stephen Hoggett whom people might know from Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, which is a Broadway play or he just did Harry Potter and the Cursed Child over in England but he did my favorite play um, that I've seen in a while called Let the Red One In which is about a 13 year old vampire and it it was really incredible to watch and I think it definitely influenced us on Slumber. And then the show Heroes is being written by Edna Walsh who I'm not super familiar with but I think was the playwright on Once and a show called Lazarus which was a David Bowie musical that they did at New York Theatre Workshop. Um, You know, this press release is a confusing one because first of all, press releases work for anyone who doesn't know this. I did not know this until we started working on our own shows. But the press releases that you see on BroadwayWorld.com or Playbill or really anywhere, you write your press release for your own show with either your in-house press agent, your in-house writers, or your press team. And then they send that out to these news outlets. And if you're lucky, they change a few words but normally they they just post what you've given them so knowing that I just love some of the language in this in this press release so my favorite because Ross clearly is very very good at language and using it to his advantage so my favorite line of the whole thing is Spiegel World's impresario extraordinaire Ross Mollison said it's really amazing I want Ross to come up with my title but anyway, it seems like this show is a mix of theater and circus, which, you know, as we all can can attest to and we've talked about before, blending those two genres is very hard. I'd be very interested to see what this is going to be. And it seems like he wants to either land it at an art house, whatever that means, or a show in Las Vegas, because, you know, the hotel industry is is uh, is is booming. And that's apparently what it what Heroes is about. What do you mean? I think it, it seems like Heroes is about people who work in a hotel and, you know, there's a a concierge character, a opera singing, pole dancing aerialist as the diva. <laughs> there is a chambermaid, excuse me, an old chambermaid. I mean, the thing is, I know I love Stephen Hoggett, his work, at least. So I'm sure it's going to be cool.
0: That could be pretty neat though. Like Ross tends to do stuff that has immersive elements. So I could totally see if you put this into a to a hotel doing it in a bunch of rooms or taking advantage of confusing the audience of who's staff and who's a performer. It seems sort of pretty in keeping actually with Rose Rabelais which is another project he worked on in Vegas that I also worked on that sort of had some of those mm-hmm. blurring the lines of who's a staff and who's a performer.
1: There's one other line that Ross says at the end of the End of the article that is his quote and it's again just just incredible. He said from the poetic to the surreal, from the madcap to the heartfelt, this show will reveal the hero that hides inside every soul.
0: Oh good. I'm looking <laughs> for my own personal hero. So hopefully that should should help me. I mean, I it loved it
1: the show Heroes, so
0: the TV show Heroes. Yeah. What was the name of the main the main character? His name was Hero. Hero. Oh, of course. His name is Hero. That's the whole thing. Yeah, he goes. Yeah, <laughs>
1: That was my favorite. Okay. Nice. Speaking of shows in Vegas, we teamed up with some amazing people to associate produce a new show called Misbehave Game Show. Well, it's not new, but it's new for America and new for Vegas. Josh, what's what's the show about?
0: Well, the show is about everything and nothing, really. It's a game show, and the idea is that this host, Misbehave, Uh, separates the audience into two groups, people who have iPhones and people who don't. And then those two teams play really ridiculous games, sometimes a little bit like Whose Line Is It Anyways, sometimes just really silly, like last person to sit down. Um, I'm doing a terrible job explaining it. But basically (laughs) these are really, really fun games that get the audience to do really, really crazy things and interact, and there are no rules. And it's just, you know, I saw it when I was in New York Nearly a year ago, if you go back to the October episodes of our podcast, you can hear me my my opinion of seeing it when we weren't involved with it at all, which was that it was amazing. We were so excited to become part of the team that's bringing the show to Vegas. It's in ballys right now. Right now, it's in previews. that will open at the end of this month. It stars Brett Fister, who's also a podcast guest we had previously. And if you're looking for something that's a little bit adult, really funny, sort of challenge your preconceived notions of what is a show in Las Vegas. Then this puppy is for you. Uh, it's got previous cast members from Absinthe and La Soire, so if you sort of like the the high end adult variety circuit, this should be right up your alley.
1: When I've gone to Vegas for my twenty first birthday and my twenty fifth birthday, <laughs> I saw so I saw Love for my twenty first birthday, the
0: Beatles show,
1: and I saw Absinthe for my twenty fifth. And my twenty first self, before she knew that she loved circus was sitting in love, had a bit too many drinks, and fell asleep.
0: <laughs> oh, that definitely will not happen at Misbehave Game Show. And I think
1: if I fell asleep during Misbehaved Game Show, like, I'd lose, like, 25 points for my team. <laughs> and it's just a show that you just can't fall asleep in. <laughs> so it's a really – I think what's great about the show is that you can go and just have a good time. You don't have to – it's nothing more than that. Like, you just go, enjoy yourself, do whatever – you want have a drink bring your friends and it's like a very low commitment show
0: and i will say the, the part of the reason why we we're excited to do it is because the venue it's in has a pretty low seating capacity if you go see like ka which is a cirque du Soleil show at mgm the audience is three and a half thousand people this show is just under 200 so tickets are pretty hard to get in the first week and a half have been totally sold out so uh, if you're interested definitely go online misbehaved game Show, mm-hmm. snag your tickets before you get to vegas But we certainly recommend you go and see it. But there is another show that's actually opening in Las Vegas right around the same time as Misbehave, Circus 1903.
1: Which we've talked about on a previous podcast. Basically, it's a circus show, quote unquote circus. I mean, it is a circus show with a story. And it's really slow. It's really good for families. Uh, I'm... I am excited to see how it does in Vegas. It just would not be my choice. Like, I feel like that show would be great to do a sit down in like Chicago, Los Angeles, Boston, something like that kind of a city. Las Vegas, I'm not quite sure about, but it is there. It's opening at the Paris Hotel in a, in a week or two. So if you're in Vegas, go see Misbehave. You can see Circus 1902. Is it Circus 1903?
0: 1903. <laughs> Circus the following 19- day.
1: The following day. It's
0: actually going to the theater that Jersey Boys was in, which has been dark for a year. So, you know, they're going to a much more traditional sort of musical musical house in Vegas. And to Lindsay's point, you know, it's it's tough when you're bringing your show to Vegas because you got to ask yourself what makes this show different from all the other shows and who is the audience for for our show and i'm telling you misbehave is nothing like you've ever seen before circus 1903 as a choice confuses me a little bit just because you're going to be going up against the nine or seven or nine still shows la rev absinthe like you got some serious competition as a circus show so we wish them the best of luck but yes. if you're in vegas go see, go see, see
1: misbehave also just to further entice you was you know amy saunders is the is the woman behind the creation of the show she is misbehave, and she's brought it to the fringe festivals over in england and as well as around australia and is always the winner and the like sellout hits so now you get to see her in america in this amazing show with one of our good friends brett fister so if that doesn't convince you then I don't know what would.
0: And we'll be bugging you guys about it for many episodes to come. So if we don't convince you this time around, hopefully we'll convince you on episode 44, 45, and
1: 46. Something else is, I feel like the New York ecosystem of circus and variety is constantly changing, especially in this past year and a half. And whether it's for good or for bad, it's changing. And Webster Hall just announced that it's closing. And that was a venue that served as a a home ground for a lot of variety shows and circus performers. I think it's definitely sad news, especially because it's not a traditional theater. It's down on the east side. It's not in the Broadway box. It's a cool nightclub-y venue. And I know a lot of shows that went there. So the fact that that's closing... I think it can be depressing to, like, think about all these things that are closing, especially if you're a circus performer or in the circus ecosystem. But I also feel like we are at the precipice of a change of circus. And it's always scary, I think, when that's about to happen. But what's exciting is what's coming next. And I don't think... That's a
0: great
1: segue. Yeah, that's a great segue to talk about... The Ernest Albrecht article, Whither Thou Ghost, is it Ghost or Go? Go. Whither Thou Go, where he talks about the future of circus in America. And, you know, I think you and I might have different opinions on this article. We haven't talked about it yet until we saved our opinions until this.
0: Well, I'll I'll go first on my opinions since I I know what my conviction is. I I, I love this article. I thought that was totally totally nailed a lot of what's going on and oddly enough actually hark back to a conversation that we had with Lauren Eislinger about what's going on in Australian circus which is that there's essentially a demographic shift happening with two kinds of circus companies that if you are living in a city you are lucky to see one kind of circus and if you are living in a rural area you're lucky to see another kind of circus and it's unlikely that people living in those areas will see the other kind so what do I mean by that what does Ernest Albrecht mean by that Basically, if you live in New York or Chicago or L.A. or Boston, you're going to see shows that come to BAM, shows that go to Lincoln Center, shows that are built for theaters and are likely European contemporary circus because that is what's built for theaters these days. And that's only furthered by the fact that New York City has banned circus animals and other cities like L.A. are banning circus animals. So bringing a show like Universal, for example, that's come many years in a row, it's going to be harder to do for the community that lives here. On the flip side... If you're living in Idaho or you're living in Texas and it's a big, open, sprawling place with a lot of open land, it's much more likely you'll see a touring, tented show, like a mud show or a bigger one like Cavalia. And these are shows that do have animals that have a much more traditional bent to them. And the ticket buyer is different. The ticket price is lower. These are people who are going with families as opposed to going sort of for an art date, which maybe you'd go to Lincoln Center for. And... That's sort of what's going on with circus for the next couple of years. And it's not happening just here. It's clearly happening in Australia as well. And I think the way Ernest Albrecht lays it out is actually a really smart way to think about it and to sort of think about the challenges of, of, you know, this divided circus community and, and nation.
1: So here's my opinion. I totally agree with pretty much everything you said to varying degrees. But I'm, I'm definitely coming at this whole idea of is, you know, what is circus in the future from a different point of view, considering that I didn't grow up with circus as something in the forefront of my mind as something that existed as something that I would be doing. It was definitely something I saw when I was little, I went to see Cirque du Soleil. Again, I saw, you know, love my 21st birthday, but it wasn't something that I ever thought about until now, until the past, you know, four years. And So I'm coming into this idea of what circus is and where it's going on the later end. You know, I'm not, um, coming from it with like having grown up wanting to be a part of these organizations. And I, I feel like everything needs to evolve and change. This is the moment where that's happening. And it's, I think scary for a lot of people because they're used to something and exciting for a lot of people who aren't, aren't used to it in a way. And the traditional circus that people have, you know, grounded their knowledge and education on is super important, but it has to change and evolve to fit whatever the audience is demanding, right? Because circus is for the people. Circus is for people to buy tickets and to come see a show. And if people don't want to see a specific type of show anymore, that's okay. Then you do a show that you still feel true to, but is something for the audience.
0: I totally agree. I mean, I think there are elements that aren't just choices in taste and are just things that are happening by law or by where you live. But overall, I think the change is inevitable. Definitely recommend people read Ernest Albrecht's article. That's our episode for today. We'll have more guests coming up. If you liked what we did on this episode where we dive into a few different news topics for a little bit longer, please do let us know. You can follow us on Facebook, on Twitter, tweet us. Follow us on Instagram at Hideaway Circus or shoot us an email at hello at hideawaycircus.com. Thanks so much for listening. If you love the podcast, share it with your friends, rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate the support. Have a great week.
1: Thanks.